You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the skeptical podcast about cryptids, science, and skepticism, brought to you by Skeptic Magazine. I'm your host, Blake Smith, and together with Dr. Karen Stolzno, linguist and skeptical investigator, and Ben Radford, managing editor of Skeptical Inquirer Magazine and skeptical investigator, we talk about monsters. Today, on Monster Talk, we discuss the mysterious creature known as the Chupacabra. We turn to one of our co-hosts to leverage their expertise on the topic. Ben Radford just completed a manuscript for a book on this Latin American vampiric creature, and Karen and I interview him to find out many things, but Ben assures us there's much, much more in his upcoming book. Let's get to the interview. Monster Talk. Okay. Tonight we're joined by... um, Ben Benjamin Radford, Rad Radford Radford Rayburn Rayburn <laughs> to discuss the chupacabra. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ben, you're one of our regular panelists, so uh, this is the first time we've actually interviewed our own team. Seems the tables have turned. Yes, now you're the interviewee. Oh, all right. Okay, well, let's go. Let's see, Ben. Uh, just on the off chance that our guests don't know about what a chupacabra is, can you tell us about the chupacabra? What it is, where it comes from, its defining characteristics? Sure. I mean, it's it's sort of like what what is the Bigfoot? Of course, you're you're talking about something that uh, that's never been proven to exist, and so everybody has their own particular take on it. Uh, in the case of the chupacabra, and I, let me just state at the outset that there is a, a minor debate as to whether it's chupacabra or chupacabras uh, with an S at the end. Uh, I've gotten some kind of cranky emails from people who, who insist on correcting me, although uh, I, I usually just use the, the, uh, the singular without the uh, S because it's, it's, it's more common. And where did it come from? Well, the, uh, there, there are a couple of different theories about that. Essentially, it appeared uh, more or less out of the blue in 1995 Puerto Rico. Um, there's a, a variety of, of theories about where they came from. One of the most popular ones is that it's the result of uh, top-secret U.S. government genetic experiments, uh, sort of like the Frankenstein uh, element to it. Uh, and there's also a, a um, an element of anti-Americanism um, that's uh, that sort of permeates the mythology of the chupacabra, not only in Puerto Rico but in Latin America in general. 
And um, so that's sort of where it basically came from. The the other theory is that uh, the chupacabra is essentially an extraterrestrial or an extraterrestrial's pet. Uh, there are a couple of people who believe that um, that aliens visited uh, Puerto Rico in '95 and were abducting people and doing their usual stuff, and they left behind what's essentially their dog, <laughs> and it's and it became the chupacabra. One of the things that's interesting about the chupacabra is that it's, it basically appears in two very different forms. The original chupacabra from Puerto Rico, based on one, based on one basically original sighting, is about four to five feet tall. It has long limbs. It's got red wraparound eyes, sort of like alien eyes. Some people say it has fangs. It has a very distinctive spikes down its back and things like that. Oddly enough, the the only chupacabras that have been actually found, or you know, animal, uh, let's just say alleged chupacabras, a- alleged chupacabras, <laughs> yes, a- animal carcasses that that were claimed to be chupacabras are all canids. So they're all dogs, wolves, cup foxes, coyotes, things like that, which of course look nothing like what I just described. So there's a very interesting dimorphism of the uh, morphology of the chupacabra, which I discuss uh, in my in my book that will be coming out uh, next year on the Chupacabra. So where does the actual name Chupacabra come from? Doesn't it mean goat sucker? Yeah, it does. Yeah, There's some debate about who actually created the word, coined the word. There's a comedian, a Puerto Rico comedian that claims he did. Someone else says he's full of it. I, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. But basically, yeah, it means goat sucker. Uh, in a way, it's interesting because the, the name is very similar to that of Bigfoot, wherein you know, we don't know what Bigfoot is, so it's, it's really known uh, for what it leaves behind. And, of course, in the case of Bigfoot, it leaves behind large footprints. In the case of the Chupacabra, uh, it leaves behind um, sucked goats, and basically animals that have been uh, supposedly had their, their blood sucked out of them. So uh, everything from uh, livestock, chickens, uh, goats, dogs, cats, uh, you name it. It'd be cooler if we called it the Exsanguinator. Yeah, well, yeah, that sounds like a sounds like a a, a, a wrestling, wrestling name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there I guess go. it does. Oh, well, you know, it's not good though. Now, I just realized because you'd have to, it still doesn't specify goats. So chupacabra really kind of gets it all together there. <laughs> so, getting back to the chupacabra, uh, what's the history of the creature? Because uh, you were saying that it's it started appearing in the nineteen nineties. Yeah, it basically again appeared more or less. You know, out of the blue, in in, in 1995, in in, uh, in a little place called uh, Canovanas, just outside of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and that has always been one of the the main mysteries of the chupacabra. Um, one of the central mysteries is where did it come from? I mean, if you in the case of animals such as uh, or alleged animals like Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster or what have you. There's, you know, people who claim, well, if you look at old stories, you know, dating back, you know, the Indian stories, Native American legends, etc., uh, they try and basically corral and manufacture old legends and myths to, you know, basically as, as historical evidence for these creatures. In the case of Chupacabra, that doesn't, there is none. I mean, there, there simply is no real precedent before that. Um, there's one researcher who believes, uh, named Scott Corrales, uh, who believes that uh, there, that an earlier version of the uh, chupacabra uh, um, was seen in the town of Mocha, and so there's uh, in, in the chupacabra literature you'll see reference to the vampire of Mocha, which I think uh, occurred in the in the late 70s. Although again, it was basically uh, a collection of a few dead animals that were supposedly sucked of blood, uh, and then basically it wasn't seen for 20 years after that. Okay, they make those drinks down there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mochaccinos. <laughs> wow. That was worth it. Okay, totally worth it. All right. <laughs> okay, sorry. You, you do go on. That's basically the, the uh, you know, where it came from. And, and again, the... Sorry, is the vampire of Mocha well-known? Is that like a... Or is it kind of obscure... It's it's kind of obscure. It's really best known in, in reference to either cattle mutilations or uh, or the, the chupacabra stories. Uh, but it, it does it is interesting because it does bring in the whole vampire element to it. Because uh, you know, the, the chupacabra is unique among you know cryptozoological creatures 
it certainly you know, the, the big ones like you know Bigfoot isn't known for sucking blood or necessarily attacking people. Same with uh, Ogopogo or or the Mothman or what else have or or what have you. In the case of the Chupacabra, of course, um, that that is one of its defining characteristics is it, it is vampiric and it does suck blood, which of course opens up some very interesting questions as to what sort of animal you know could it be, where could it come from. Is it treated as a, a natural animal or a supernatural animal? I know they, they bring this alien element into it, but is there anything about the killings that uh, makes it supernatural, or is that just what the eyewitnesses are seeing? Or why, why, why is it not just an animal? Why do they think there's a special kind of creature doing this? Well, it really depends on who you talk to. There Actually, there's a very strong UFO enthusiast presence in, in Puerto Rico. It's actually surprisingly large, given the you know the, the location and the, the size of the island. Uh, and so there's so one of the reasons that you do have such a, a significant group of people who are attributing aliens and UFOs uh, origins to the Chupacabra is because of, of groups of those people. There are also evangelical Christians who believe that the Chupacabra is a sign of the end times. The Chupacabra has been uh, sort of roped into uh, Christian end times theology. For example, I was reading one reference that uh, the guy was talking about how uh, in the book of Revelation it talks about uh, uh, horrific beasts coming out and, uh, and attacking people. And so the, this person believes that um, that uh, along with some of the other biblical creatures, the chupacabra was foretold in the Bible. Um, so you really, it's really interesting. You have a basically a, a wide variety of people sort of corral the chupacabra into their own personal agendas and, and how they see the world. Uh, but I think most people, uh, most people, as far as I can tell, either don't believe it exists or those who believe that it exists in some form think it, it's probably a natural creature of some sort. So, Ben, you were speaking about cattle mutilations and uh, vampires. Uh, I've heard that uh, the chupacabra is often supposedly linked to satanic cults. What do you know about that? There's an element of that. Supposedly, the uh, the main connection is that the the exsanguinated victims uh, can basically be attributed to either satanic cults or aliens abducting cattle for their own bizarre and nefarious purposes, or the chupacabra. Um, so that's that's sort of one of the most fascinating elements of it, is that you can have the same animal that that uh, you know can appear to have been sucked to blood, and if it appeared in, uh, let's say, October of 1995 in Puerto Rico, uh, it, would have been, it would have been clear evidence that the chupacabra was there. If you had seen that in 1978 in New Mexico, uh, that would have been attributed probably to uh, extraterrestrials. And if that same creature had been found uh, dead, say, in the Midwest in the, in the mid-1980s, uh, it would be the work of uh, satanic cults. Um, so you, ha- you have exactly the same evidence being interpreted in, in very different ways. So have there been any attacks on humans Supposedly, because we've got a, an equivalent in Australia, the bunyip, which you might have heard of, and oh, that yeah. attacks not only other animals but also humans. Well, one of the interesting things about the chupacabra is that uh, it, it apparently has not attacked any humans. Uh, there are a couple stories uh, that you know, as is typical, of course, in this in this in this field. Uh, once you actually look into the stories and do a little digging, they fall apart pretty quickly. Um, there was one guy in Mexico, I believe, uh, who claimed that he had been attacked by Chupacabra. I think it later turned out he'd been in a bar fight and didn't want to tell his wife. There, there are no reliable, credible uh, human uh, victims of the Chupacabra, which is, which is interesting uh, given the fact that it, it appears to have no compunctions about uh, attacking a wide variety of other animals. What are some of the most infamous sightings or stories of the Chupacabra? What are some of your classic stories? As far as the Puerto Rican Chupacabra, uh, the original uh, and most influential sighting was uh, of a, was by a woman named Madeline Tolentino, uh, and she claimed that uh, she had actually seen this creature outside of her mother's house uh, in, in, in Puerto Rico. And uh, she gave a very, very detailed, lengthy description uh, to, um, to local UFO uh, 
investigators, and I, I use the phrase very loosely, um, who got interested in it and wanted to write this up for the, for their UFO newsletters. Um, and she talked about just at length, in fact, in, in Scott Corrales' book, uh, Chupacabras and Other Mysteries, um, he reprints her uh, her interview at, at length and in detail, and she talks about exactly how, how big it was and how many how many fingers it had on each on each limb, the fact that it had uh, no genitalia. I mean, she's just going into amazingly detailed description here. How long did she see it? Well, uh, she's she's fuzzy on that. Um, apparently, it was at least um, you know ten fifteen minutes, uh, according to her. I mean, uh, there, there are lots of very vague parts of this story. She also claims that her mother chased it into a nearby field, uh, and that a local teenager uh, gr- uh, grabbed the chupacabra, forced its mouth open, looked in its mouth for I don't know gum or dentures or something, let it go, and then it hopped off into the sunset. Wow. So, well, yeah, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm, well, I'm, no, making, I'm, saying, it, she, I'm making it sound much more credible than well, it did, actually was. Did, did the other two people corroborate the story? Oh, that's a good question, Blake. Um, no. Oh. Not okay. as far as I know. <laughs> Okay. Oddly enough, it seems that the UFO investigators, I'm using scare quotes here, the UFO investigators uh, apparently never bothered to actually ask anyone else. They basically just got her story and said thank you and walked away. But her, her sighting is, is, is probably the most important sighting, the, the most important Chupacabra sighting in history because it's, it's, um, it became, her description essentially became the, the default description of the Chupacabra. She, she's case zero? Yes, yeah, she's case zero exactly. So if you do a Google image search for chupacabra, um, you'll find a variety of photos and this and that. But the majority of them will be ba- will be based upon um, her description, which actually she she uh, she worked with a guy named Jorge Martin, uh, and he did a sketch um, uh, based on her description that basically uh, went worldwide. And so it became the template. Uh, it became the template, and so her her sighting is really the most important one in terms of uh, when, when you look up in cryptozoology in cryptozoology books and monster books, one of the first things they'll talk about: oh, it's four to five feet tall, spikes on the back, red eyes, this and that and the other. That came directly from Tolentino sighting uh, and a couple of uh, follow-ups as well. Quick skeptic point here: you know, I say it became the template just because we don't know. I mean, I guess for people who think the story is true it became the wanted poster but right. uh, but um it, it, again one of the ongoing observations that we've got is that people tend to become primed for these kind of sightings and uh and then use those templates as the things that they use to fill out their picture of the monster absolutely and and in fact in that particular sighting um i don't i don't want to give too much away but i actually found a uh a really remarkable piece of evidence about that original sighting that uh, I'll, I'll maybe we'll revisit on a future. Uh, well, future yeah, let's wait till your book comes out on that one. That are you- well, Ben, you said that uh, it hopped away, and I have read some accounts that claim the the creature moves like a kangaroo. Yes, you, is that the sort of prototype as well? Uh, again, it it uh, it. It depends on, on which description you're reading. Um, in my research for the book, I uh, read probably a dozen different uh, books on that were describing it, and and you'd be hard-pressed to find any that exactly matched. Some writers basing their, basing their description on some eyewitnesses say that uh, it had wings, and it, uh, it basically is like a, a pterosaur or, or something that uh, flies around in the night skies. Uh, other books and other eyewitnesses say that uh, it hops like a kangaroo and has a long tail. Other eyewitnesses say it doesn't have a tail at all, but instead has spikes down the back. So um, it, it's it's actually amazing. <laughs> there's there's an amazing diversity. Uh, one some, one might say an impossible diversity of characteristics in the in the chupacabra. Yeah, I've seen recreations that included flight as part of its powers, at least the mm-hmm. ability to jump up into trees and jump out of trees. And uh, on the the adventures beyond, uh, I don't want to call it a documentary. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> no, that's giving it far too much credibility. That's <laughs> making it sound like a Spring Hill Jack. Oh, it was a lot like yes. Spring Hill Jack with uh, glow in the dark eyes, and or not glow, yeah. glowing eyes, I guess. Um, you no, know, here's a question for you though. So, 
we've talked about what the creature looks like in its initial incarnation, and yet somehow once it gets onto the mainland of North America, the, it becomes a canid, or at yes. least the canid creatures are described as chupacabras. So how does that, I mean, how did, that doesn't make any sense to me from a biological perspective. And for people in cryptozoology who are serious about it and are treating it as mystery animals, obviously there's a huge disconnect between an alien hybrid uh, jumping creature and an animal that looks like a hairless dog. So what did you find out about the, the origin of that uh, assignation of title? Well, what you find is that the uh, even though the word chupacabra, as as Karen mentioned, mean literally means goat sucker, what it really means in a in a much more realistic uh, sense is is just something that's unknown or unexplained. It's it's, it's a um, it's sort of a boogeyman. It's a scapegoat. Uh, hmm. So if, for example, you have <laughs> get a scapegoat, yeah, I thought yes, you liked that. Yeah. <laughs> that that was for you, man. So what you have, for example, is that if you have uh, livestock or, again, a dead dog, chicken, what have you, that that for, for whatever reason someone comes across and for whatever reason someone thinks is mysterious, uh, especially if, if uh, he's of Hispanic origin or speaks Spanish, um, as, of course, as, as you often find in Latin America and also in, in Texas and, and other places, uh, it's very likely that the, the first explanation that will jump to mind is, this is the victim of chupacabra, and so what you find is that um, is that again, anything that anybody finds weird for whatever reason is automatically becomes a chupacabra, even if it has no relation whatsoever to to any uh, to to anything at all. To do you know certainly nothing resembling Madeline Tolentino's original sighting or anything else. And so I mean I've even had um, I've had people show me. A, um, a Jenny Hanover, which is you know basically a, a, a cut up a, a devil fish. It's a cut up and dried skate that's made to it's it's a, basically a, a sort of carnival gaff, a faked animal uh, that was claimed to be a chupacabra. Now again, this is a dried, cut up, smelly <laughs> thing that that doesn't re- remotely resemble either a canid or. Or the original uh, Puerto Rican chupacabra. So, you, so again, that that's 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 one of the characteristics of it is it's yes, it's a placeholder for mystery. Exactly. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti, and I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about that you care about, the stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. So what you find is that, is that as you said, after the Chupacabra made the jump, either physical or metaphorical, to the mainland, it suddenly changed form and it became uh, a canid. So one of the one of the original sightings, uh, one of the most important ones uh, after 1995, um, happened in uh, in uh, Nicaragua, 
in uh, in August 2000, there was a, a farmer named Jorge Talavera who uh, had a, a, a ranch and a farm outside of Managua. And he had been experiencing predation, and he, uh, I think he had something like a dozen animals that had been supposedly mysteriously drained of blood. And he went out one night, and uh, he saw this, what he believed and claimed was a chupacabra, actually two of them, attacking his uh, his his uh, livestock. And he shot at it in the dark, and it, 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 it ran away. And a couple of days later, one of his ranch hands found the skeleton that had been picked over by predator birds at that point of this weird, mysterious canid creature that uh, had, had almost no fur and it just looked very unusual. And at that point he called his boss, Mr. Talavera out on the ranch and he decided that he had in fact killed a chupacabra and he was convinced that he was the first person in history to do so. And that was really the first case. Again, that was in 2000 where there was a body. Uh, before that, the, the chupacabra, all we had were chupacabra eyewitness sightings. You know, someone says they saw something. And you also had alleged chupacabra victims. So you had chickens, goats, what have you, that either were drained of blood or were thought to have been drained of blood. But nobody had, you know, found an actual dead specimen that you could poke at and examine whatever else until uh, the uh, August 2000 Nicaragua sighting. It seems that most of the sightings uh, and stories are centered around the Americas. Do you know of this creature or variants existing in other cultures? Well, that's an excellent question, and it, it sort of depends on which thread you're following. Of course, if you're following the, the vampire thread, uh, that'll take you, certainly if you're, look, if you're looking at Slavic vampires, that'll take you back to Europe, um, of course, in the you know, 14, 15, 1600s. And you can go back to uh, you know, the vampire mythos and, and uh, you know, Vlad the Impaler and all those sorts of things. And, and, and of course, the, that particular vampire is only one of, of many vampires that, uh, that exist around the world in different cultures. So uh, you have vampire myths in Africa and, and Asia and, and elsewhere. So if you're, you know, if the thread that one follows is the vampire one, then certainly it's it's part of a much broader context of of, um, of vampires, and in many ways it's a very specialized vampire, uh, specifically sort of a, a product of of the Puerto Rican culture and mythology. In terms of a chupacabra-like creature elsewhere, there isn't really one. I sort of see the chupacabras being a very sort of brand specific. Animal, partly for because of its name. I mean, you know, part of you know the El Chupacabra is Hispanic. It, it involves obviously Spanish speaking. It involves um, cattle. Uh, so there's obviously it's a product of an, of a uh, an agrarian society. And so again, there, there certainly are other sort of quasi vampiric creatures around the world. Uh, the Chupacabra unlike many of those, be, you know, essentially came into existence in one very specific particular place and time uh, and then spread from there. So since that time, there have been chupacabra sightings in, I've read some reports that say they're in, in Russia, certainly throughout Latin America, Nicaragua, uh, Honduras, Costa Rica, uh, Chile, Argentina, Brazil. I heard uh, one case in Australia and Perth back in the 1990s. Really? But the, the creature sounds a little bit like the, um, the Lou or Rougarou. Mm-hmm. Um, those characters that you've got in, uh, like, Louisiana in the swamps. Mm-hmm. Do you Blake? Well, yeah, well <laughs> I think... What, Some of your southern creatures. Oh, we have all kinds of things done here. Or do we? The question I have, and this kind of ties into that, I mean, the you've got animals being killed, and this is kind of a mystery to me because we talked about it in a recent episode. Um, when these animals die, things happen to the bodies, um, mm-hmm. and especially if they're being predated, uh, you know, think there's going to be parts missing. But my question is, do, does the evidence actually support the idea that these creatures are really drinking the blood? I mean, uh, the photos that you and I looked at, Ben, and some of the video I've looked at, I when they cut these animals open... They didn't look bloodless to me. I mean, blood wasn't pouring out, but you would expect it to congeal over time, right? I mean... Yeah, you would think. In fact, one of the videos I showed you uh, uh, was, I think it was from the Beyond Bazaar, 
And uh, it really was beyond bizarre because the narrator is talking about how the, the people in the video are cutting open this animal that has clearly been drained of all blood. Yet on the screen, <laughs> there's clearly blood all over the animal. Uh, so that was truly bizarre, beyond bizarre. Of course, yeah, I imagine that the producers just – that was the only footage they had. And so they didn't recognize that the uh, the voiceover was directly contradicting what was on the screen. Yeah, certainly, you know, and this is where the, the, the chupacabra sort of ties in with uh, uh, animal mutilations and cattle mutilations, particularly tied to extraterrestrials. Um, this notion that uh, animals can die of a variety of causes that aren't immediately obvious um, that can – that can mimic uh, blood loss. Uh, and in fact, for my book, I interviewed a forensic pathologist uh, at the local university and had a long discussion with her about the different um, forensic processes uh, that happen. You know, when, once a, a body um, once a body starts to to decay, you know, the, the blood pressure drops and uh, and uh, liver mortis sets in. And so. Um, it's not necessarily obvious uh, whether an animal has, in fact, been drained of blood. And so oftentimes what you find is that someone who, uh, I mean, countless times in my research, I would find quotes from eyewitnesses who were absolutely convinced that that, uh, that their their dog or their cat or their goat or their, their uh, cattle had been drained of blood, apparently without having done any examination whatsoever. They just sort of saw it lying there and said, hey, must be drained of blood. Huh, look at that. Are there any uh, predators in Puerto Rico besides dogs that would be capable of doing these kind of killings? Are, are there foxes or coyotes or anything like that? There are not. Um, and that's actually, again, that's another sort of reason why the, the Puerto Rico is a unique uh, area. Because it is geographically isolated, there there is a, a band of uh, monkeys, uh, racist monkeys, uh, that were apparently let loose. Uh, on the island in a, in a you know a scientific experiment, <laughs> in fact, irony of ironies, uh, that escaped and, and made their way into um, into the jungle in, uh, in in Puerto Rico. And of course, there is a there is a, a sizable amount of, of jungle area and, and wooded land uh, where these things could could hang out. Um, interestingly, uh, I, I was I was looking into one of the. Um, one of the theories proposed by a, a, um, a British researcher, uh, John Downs of the Center for Floridian Zoology, uh, he believes that at least some of the original uh, predations in Puerto Rico were attributable to mongooses and that, that uh, some of them may have been killed in ways that wouldn't be obvious. The majority of the killings uh, which occur in the mainland um, – you know, again, North America uh, and elsewhere, uh, you very much do have uh, uh, foxes, coyotes, dogs, uh, feral dogs, things like that. Um, but in, in the case of Puerto Rico specifically, no, you don't. I mean, other than, of course, you know, wild dogs and, and even tame dogs will sometimes kill animals. And the, the examples of the chupacabra that have been found and tested, what have they been? It, it depends. Uh, there's been... Um, off the top of my head, I'm going to say there's been about eight or nine uh, allegedly found chupacabra carcasses. Some of them have been sort of uh, spirited away, sort of sort of like the uh, the alien implants, you know, where the aliens come down and they leave implants in people, uh, but some, somehow they're never around to be tested. So there's been a couple cases of where um, where the alleged beastie has 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 been gone. In fact, in that piece, in that uh, in the in the case I mentioned earlier in 2000 uh, Nicaragua, uh, that's actually an instructive case because um, the the animal, when uh, the rancher Talavera took it to a local university, um, they concluded that it was uh, just a dog. It was a, a common dog. And when he got – and Talavera refuted this, and when he got the bones back, he claimed that they had been switched. He claimed that there was a conspiracy – and that the university had taken his real chupacabra bones and swapped out the uh, dog bones um, to discredit him or put him on eBay. I don't know. I don't know what he thought was going on. But so the, there's also a very interesting undercurrent of conspiracy theory uh, in the chupacabra that that again is unique to the chupacabra. You, you don't really find conspiracy theories wrapped up too much in Bigfoot mythology or Loch Ness Monster or whatever else, it's very much a part of the Chupacabra mythology. So to, to answer Karen's question, in that, in that particular case, the, the scientific answer was that it, it was in fact a dog, 
Uh, Talavera agreed that it's a dog, but he says that, again, it was switched for his real chupacabra. In other cases, probably the most famous case was uh, in Cuero, Texas in 2007. There was a woman in Phyllis Canyon uh, who claimed that there was the summer of the chupacabra, and she uh, shot uh, – well, actually, she found a, a, an animal that had been killed by the side of the road and had basically come back coyote. And she uh, she uh, disputed that, and that's, it became a a long involved pissing match among various people who are who are both uh, supporting and, and and denying that. Other animals have been found to be um, usually they're dogs with mange, coyotes with mange. Uh, there was a fox. Uh, there was a chupacabra that was supposedly found in Turner, Maine. Uh, it was sort of a bluish haze. It turned out to be a dog of some sort. So essentially every time that science finds a a chupacabra carcass or alleged chupacabra carcass, uh, it always comes out to be a canid. It always comes out to be dog, fox, um, coyote, something along those lines. Do you see the chupacabra as being something uh, that can be solved as a phenomenon? I do. Um, and the reason I say that is because the chupacabra – Again, unlike most other sort of you know marquee monsters, uh, is is very new. Uh, it's only been around since '95, so we're we're talking about something that's only been living <laughs> to the degree that it's living for 15 years. It's only been around. So, when when your book comes out, do you think you're going to be able to stamp uh, case closed on the top of it? I do. I, I really do, and I don't. And I don't. I don't take that lightly. I mean, as an investigator, I'm very used to saying in in this particular case, I didn't disprove all ghosts. I didn't disprove that. Um, but I think that when when the book comes out, I think I've I've nailed every single element to it. Um, and I think that the people who still believe that the chupacabra exists and is out there are going to have a very difficult time uh, unless they're addressing <laughs> – unless they find gaping holes in my point-by-point -point analysis. I would feel comfortable in saying that I, I think I may have finally solved the mystery. Um, and, and part of the key was, uh, was, again, as I mentioned before, one of the big mysteries is why it suddenly appeared in 95 Puerto Rico. It's just – animals just don't do that. And um, – I think that was kind of the last last piece of the puzzle. And you think you found an explanation for that? I believe I did. Well, I'm excited. I can't wait to read the book and find out what it is. <laughs> With a lot of the, the Chupacabra stuff and the investigations, um, it wasn't just uh, – it wasn't all just, you know, armchair – uh, stuff. I mean, I actually went out and I did a, a expedition into the uh, jungles of Nicaragua. Actually, in fact, in the uh, in the current issue of Forty and Times magazine, uh, in issue two fifty seven, January two thousand ten, um, which is not exactly a competitor of Skeptical Inquirer, but uh, you know they they have good pieces now and then. Um, I actually have a piece in the in the in the uh, in the actually I guess current or forthcoming issue on my expedition to uh, the jungles of Nicaragua to try and find the chupacabra. I was going to ask you about that uh, because you've made a number of treks to South America and you've written a few articles about this creature already. And from what you've told me, a lot of the locals and people that you've spoken with don't seem to really take it too seriously. They seem to, the stories seem to be rather tongue in cheek. Yeah, that's, that's one of the interesting facets to it is that it, um, Oftentimes, the locals don't take it nearly as seriously as the outsiders do. Um, so, you know, something, you know, you, you'll read about something that says, uh, you know, the people in this particular country or this particular region are terrified of this creature, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, all that makes good copy. But when you actually go there and you actually interview people, they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a story, you know, people talk, things like that. Um, it's attraction for those places? What what'd you say? Do you think it's a tourist attraction for these places? Uh, in some cases, uh, certainly. I mean, in the case of like Nicaragua, I would say no, um, because you know, Mr. Talavera. I mean, he, he. I think he enjoyed his fifty minutes of fame on TV, uh, but um, you know, in places like that, I don't think it's so much a tourist attraction. That is the case. I would say, for example, in uh, in America. Uh, if you look at the the Cuero chupacabra in Texas and the Blanco chupacabra, there's actually been about three or four chupacabras that have been coming out of Texas. 
in the last um, last few years. Uh, in those cases, uh, it's completely being exploited. I mean, you know, they're selling T-shirts that <laughs> have the chupacabra on them. You can buy beer cozies and you know and you know take your pick. Uh, so there's That's there's def- absolutely that's America. There's you know and and I interviewed uh, and I went and met with Phyllis Canyon, um, the woman who uh, who has the chupacabra there. I was actually for a, uh, a Monster Quest shoot um, a couple years back and talked to her at length, and uh, she's very open about it. She's like, well, look, I mean, you know, why not? I, I found the chupacabra. I have it in my freezer. Uh, you can look at the dead head if you want. You can poke at it and smell it and whatever. Um, and so why not uh, Why not produce some T-shirts for it? So, And whatever. I mean, that's, you know, that's fine. So how many overall, how many sightings, and I, I say that, not how many animals were claimed to have been victims, but like how many people have seen the chupacabra that you're aware of? Uh, I would say it's, it's a, it, it's you know certainly, uh, certainly dozens, if not hundreds. Um, again, depending on how credible and and how complete an account you're looking at. Uh, although, of course, many of them, I, I should add, are sort of uh, follow-ups on earlier sightings. So, for example, uh, in the case of Madeline Tolentino's original sighting. In, in Puerto Rico, her sighting spawned uh, many other, you could almost say copycat sightings, uh, where you know all of a sudden people are seeing exactly what she saw, um, and so uh, you know some of them you can link directly to original sightings. Other times, and, and again, it, it goes back to the nature of the chupacabra, which is anything weird is a chupacabra. I mean, there was a couple reports of some. Uh, I think it was a taxi driver in. Um, in uh, I think it was in Chile, uh, who uh, who said he saw some creature that was running next to him as he drove a taxi, and it sort of kept up with him, and then it flew into the sky, and uh, he he was interviewed by the local newspaper who said uh, maybe he saw the chupacabra. Now, you know his description. <laughs> if you if you look at what he actually said. It has no connection whatsoever to anything that anybody would repre- you know, represent the chupacabra, but again, either the the eyewitnesses or more often the uh, the, me- the press and news media themselves, they like a chupacabra story. So, if anybody says they saw anything weird, hey, let's let's slap the name chupacabra on it and sell some papers. And do you find wow. that there's if there's a sighting that that sets off a spate of other sightings at that same time? Yes, very very much so. And, and of course, that, that's typical for a lot of these creatures. I mean, if uh, I, I saw the exact same thing in, when I was investigating the, um, the Lake Champlain creature. Uh, and you look at the index you know, sighting of, uh, of Sandra Mansi, and, uh, and right after her photo became public of the Lake Champlain monster champ, uh, after her photo went public and she started telling her story, uh, dozens of other people suddenly started seeing exactly the same thing, and you can trace it directly to the publicity uh, of the sighting. So that's actually, you know, that, that, that's fairly common. In your research, did you talk to anybody who works at Arecibo to find out if they do have a genetics lab there? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really joking. I really, I really was wondering if you did that. <laughs> I, I, I have not. A friend of mine uh, works at, at Arecibo. He used to Daniel Altschuler. Uh, my understanding is that it being a, what I think is I understand is now a decommissioned radio observatory. I don't know if they're actually equipped for uh, for doing genetics experiments, um, but they might be. You know, and and again, this you know there are again this traces back to conspiracy theories and anti-American sentiment, which are both very much in evidence in in Costa Rica, and. Um, and you know, in America, and, and America, and <laughs> elsewhere. Uh, I don't know if the Aussies are pissed off at us, but it's improving. It's improving. It is true that uh, there are U.S. military installations um, in Puerto Rico, and of course, it's you know as as a you know U.S. possession. Um, so there is an element of truth to it, insofar as I'm sure there are secret military things going on there. Um, that doesn't mean that they created the chupacabra. It's the same thing with Area 51. Uh, it actually is a it actually is a real military base, and they do secret things there. It doesn't mean they're making UFOs. Uh, but of course, uh, the um, the conspiracy theorists uh, like to sort of use that as jumping off point. 
I'll say. <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty cool, Ben. It looks like you did a pretty thorough job. Well, I like to think so. It was, it was, uh, you know, one of the tough parts was um, when I was in in Nicaragua. Um, we were in this in this thatched hut, and um, my, my my friend Chris and I, and we were hunting around for chupacabras, and we didn't find any, but we um, we kept having these this weird feeling of like we were being watched, like like something was looking at us or I, I couldn't quite tell what it was and we were at this point we were we were pretty far down the uh the san juan river uh so we were you know there's no electricity there no running water anything else like that and so we're basically in this you know this this hot sticky jungle with howler monkeys and jaguars and tapirs and everything else and um as it turns out we were being watched by a vampire no please explain well in our in our hut, there were uh, two vampire bats that had been circling above us, and I didn't actually find this out until the last evening, when um, I I finally caught them because you just happened to have the light on right, and I took a whole bunch of photos. Of, I had my digital camera, and so I kept trying because I kept hearing something, I kept sensing something was like something was going on above us, but again because there was no electricity. Um, but then the flashlights we had weren't, I mean, they were adequate, but they certainly weren't fast enough to catch anything flying around. So I eventually managed to uh, get a photograph of uh, one of the bats that was flying above us, and it uh, it was, in fact, a vampire bat. That's cool. How big are those? Well, this one was probably, not I would say, not more than uh, seven or eight inches across, um, although it could have been a foot or so. I mean, it's decent size. I, I had actually seen vampire bats before in... Um, in Ecuador, when I was staying there, I I was staying in the in the jungle out there, and some of the uh, dogs and horses had been victims of vampire bats, and they had little uh, patches about the size of a quarter that had been they were sort of all, all the uh, the fur was worn off, and so it was this very distinctive round thing and uh and if you look closely you could see it looked like sort of cross hatches from um like scratches like a cat or something <laughs> just it, it looked weird and and so i i actually had sort of recognized some of the i'd recognize what evidence of vampire bat looks like and so um luckily they didn't attack me but it, they're not actually not that dangerous they were kind of cute so after all your research what do you think the chupacabra is? Read the book, Blake. Uh, it, it's in chapter fourteen. Um, no, I mean essentially, uh, you know, it won't come as any surprise to anybody. Certainly, anyone's listening to this show or knows knows my work that uh, I'm I'm skeptical of it. The chupacabra is basically a generic name for a wide variety of things that people can't explain, ranging from creatures that supposedly have you know animals that have no blood left in them to uh, weird things that they see out of the corner of their eyes to uh, dead uh, mangy dogs uh, out in the Texas desert. So, uh, in a nutshell, that's basically what it is. But um, the uh, in a in a broader sense, the chupacabra is is just another incarnation of the vampire story, uh, which has been around with has you know been around for for centuries, and I'm sure will continue on. So, it's sort of all things to everyone. So you Run were saying this is. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, my little Slade plug. Go ahead. Slade reference, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. You were saying that uh, the chupacabra is something that we can solve. Do you think because uh, there are so many varied explanations that that might make it more difficult for people to accept these natural explanations? Because because it covers such a wide variety of phenomena? Or? Yes, yeah, because there are so many explanations. Do you think that that will make it a bit more difficult for people to accept that this has been solved? Right. Uh, honestly, I don't think so because uh, I've laid it out very well, and I think that um, I, I'm very much aware of what the other side slash believers are saying about it, and so I've gone out of my way to address all of those. For for people who are saying, but hold on here, what about this? Um, mm -hmm. There's the answer for that. Uh, I think that by the end, people will say this mystery has basically been solved. In some ways, the what, what's 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 frustrating yet fascinating about it is that people will still see the chupacabra. That that really has no bearing on whether people will continue to see it or not. 
um, because of its very nature. People people will still find animals that they think are drained of blood. People will still see weird things out of the corner of their eye. And uh, certainly if you believe in the chupacabra, you're still going to slap that label on it. So uh, you know, it's, it's like the rubber duck syndrome in skepticism where if you, if you explain something, most people can agree that you've explained it. That doesn't mean it goes away. Yeah, I mean the cattle mutilations are still being considered a mystery here in the U.S. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the chupacabra is going to end up actually supplanting the uh, other the cattle mutilations via aliens or cattle mutilations via satanic cults. It may become the new popular explanation for what I think are mostly uh, normal uh, ranch predations and ranch um, scavenger work. Mm-hmm. Well, since it's yeah. a relatively new character, that might, I guess it's uh, still got a, a lot uh, of um, spreading to go, really, uh, in society. It's just a very new creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, that's, and I think that was one of the things, as I said, that, that made it... Uh, in my mind, solvable. I mean, I there's no way, uh, for, for as much as I know about lake monsters and, and other creatures, there's no way that I could say that, you know, that has been solved any, I mean, I, I can certainly explain individual sightings and particular types of evidence and, you know, on down the laundry list. But because the Chupacabra is so confined to a particular time, a particular place, uh, particular forms, um, that I think that in some ways that parameter makes it a, a soluble mystery. All right. I guess like uh, ghosts and, and psychics and other phenomena, people will always think that their story is the, the real the real thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's actually kind of funny. You have, uh, in some cases, you have a lot of infighting among Chupacabra, just as there's, you know, as both of you know, there's plenty of infighting among the Bigfoot buffs. Uh, there's also, you know, Bigfoot sighting and sniping and uh, and you know all sorts of stuff, uh, backbiting and sniping with the uh, the chupacabra folks as well. So uh, you've got people who are claiming they have the chupacabra. No, no, they have the chupacabra. Well, all right. Well, that's all the questions I have. Okay. Awesome. Well, that was fun. Me too. We should. Yeah. yeah, we should have we should have you back because uh, uh, on our show. <laughs> Monster talk. Today you've been listening to Monster Talk as we interviewed our own Benjamin Radford, who just finished his manuscript on Chupacabra, as well as an article in Britain's 40 and Times magazine on the same subject. Radford's the managing editor of Skeptical Inquirer, and you can find his regular columns there and at LiveScience.com, at RadfordBooks.com, and on Facebook. Karen Stolzno writes at her Bad Language blog, CSI's Naked Skeptic, Skepbitch, and can be found on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm Blake Smith, and you can find my writing on Atlanta's Examiner, as well as Twitter and Facebook, where I write under the name Dr. Atlantis. Once again, we wish to thank the fine people at Skeptic Magazine for supporting Monster Talk. Be sure and tune in next time when we'll discuss giants, and you'll hear Dr. Kenny Fader say, I am one badass motherfucker that comes to giants, man. That's what I'm about. Music for today's episode by F&A Holes. And Monster Talk's theme is by Peach Steely Monkeys, both available via podshow.com. Also, be sure and drop by iTunes and give us a review or a rating. It's a great free way to give us feedback and help other people find the show. Thanks a lot. Want to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society. Visit skeptic.com to sign up. The chupacabra. The chupacabra.